You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Hey, it's Tara Jean. Before we get into episode four, I just wanted to check in and let you know that the following couple episodes will include mentions of suicide and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, Krista, police found Bethany Deaton's body in a parking spot in a van two weeks ago. Now, a bag was found over her head, a note by her side. A murder almost slipped by detectives because they thought it was a suicide. According to court documents, the confessed killer was confessed killer was part of a community where religious experiences included communal sex. IHOP University said the community was an independent, close-knit religious group that originated in Georgetown, Texas. They all have um, ties to the International House of Prayer. The group has since released a statement trying to um, separate themselves from the behavior. This is Heaven Bent. I'm Tara Jean Stevens. Episode 4, Bethany. She was really delightful, really lovable. I think of all the people in our group, I think she was the person who was most beloved. The fact that it was Bethany was utterly traumatizing. On this episode, a look at the life, faith, and death of former IHOP intern Bethany Ann Deaton or by her maiden name, Bethany Lydeline. She was a very devoted writer. She, she graduated magna cum laude from our liberal arts college. Her death, a tragic and mysterious event, happened in 2012, just 13 years along the IHOP timeline. The story would attract a national spotlight and bring IHOP's leadership beliefs, and spiritual practices into question. My name is Bose Harrington. Bose and Bethany were good friends. Bose was also at IHOP at the same time as her, but they very first met years before that when they were both students at Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. She wanted to be a novelist, so you'd, you'd find her... You'd walk out of the library and she'd be there sitting on the mall reading a novel back as a Christie wearing a crown braid and she'd look up at you grinning with some mysterious gleam in her eye and you never quite knew what that was about. And there was this interesting tension in her between her desire to be like an educated cosmopolitan woman, a woman of the world, but also this these charismatic beliefs that she had been given by her parents. And so she was trying to negotiate two different worlds in college and trying not to let her her more secular friends see the weird charismatic side of her, but also trying to be what she perceived as a faithful Christian. So it made for this this strange, I'd say, inner contradiction in her nature. While at Southwestern, Bethany, Bose, and a bunch of fellow young Christian students 
formed a group. They would pray, worship, and study the Bible together. And from amongst them emerged the group's sort of self-appointed prophet, Tyler Deaton. We met in his freshman year, my sophomore year of college. And he, I came across him one evening playing piano in the chapel in this very anguished, intense way. And I was struck by how well he played it. And as we got to know each other, I found him to be someone who was very emotionally intense. According to Bose, he was attracted to Tyler as a fellow Christian because he seemed deeply empathetic and took questions of faith a lot more seriously than a lot of their peers. I was in his orbit and he started attracting a little crew of people around him. And in those initial years, when the group was still at Southwestern, sounds like they formed a very special bond. Well, it was it was the community. If you've read the, the novel The Secret History by Donna Tartt, which I recommend, it's got a very similar premise. Uh, a, a boy goes away to a college in Vermont and he finds this incredibly tight-knit group of people. And there's an appeal to that. There's this longing to be a part of a group that accepts you, that accepts you in your weirdness and your eccentricity. And when you can talk about the deepest matters of your heart. And I had not had that in college. And so to have that in my last couple of years was something very important to me. You know, you mentioned the word community and I've read your group, this group, Tyler's group, being described as the community. Was that something that Tyler called it, that you guys called it yourself, or was it just something that someone else called the group? It was a name that we gave it because we didn't have any other name for it. Tyler explicitly said early on he didn't want the group to have a name because he thought that labels were defining, and so we would call it the group or the community in lieu of having any other name. So in 2007, Tyler attended an IHOP conference, an event that you said changed the nature of your group. How so? How did it change your group? He hadn't been really um, charismatic before that. In fact, I would argue he didn't really know about the charismatic movement. He grew up Presbyterian and we went to a Methodist-affiliated university. But he had he'd gone to, I think, Tibet the summer before, the summer of 2007, and he'd met all these people who claimed to do miracles. And he came back to school very excited. And he said, this is incredible. There are people who can actually do healings and such, and they cast out demons. And um, our our friend Bethany um, said, you should go to this conference um, because she'd grown up charismatic and she was trying to nudge him in that direction. She said, there's this conference in December called One Thing run by the International House of Prayer and 20,000 people get together and talk about this stuff. And he said, well, that sounds great. Um, I'll go over New Year's. So on December 28th, he drove out to Kansas City IHOP used to host One Thing every December for 18 years, until 2018, when they announced it was over, and not because of scandal or bankruptcy, but, they say, because God told them to stop. And for all those years, we're talking about a series of extremely formidable youth conferences. 
Mike Bickle, founding leader, he says one thing was their most successful method of motivating young people, motivating them to become IHOP interns, like Rachel Bailey from episode two, or IHOP U students, like Austin Williamson from last episode. And this is good for IHOP, because they would need a steady flow of new recruits, right? Year after year, fresh new bodies, minds, and souls to keep the flame alive in the 24-7 prayer room. And like thousands of people at One Thing 2007, Tyler Deaton would have found himself in this huge Kansas City Conference Center, fully staged production, concert atmosphere. There would have been preaching and singing some people fully using their bodies in this completely safe space for unabashed worship and huge cacophonies of prayer for the young people of the nation. Some of these sessions lasted hours into the night. And he heard all these supposed testimonies of people who had actually done these things. And so he said, I can't deny reality anymore. I've heard too many testimonies from too many trustworthy people. This has to be real. God is actually real, and the supernatural is real, and we're going to be a part of bringing the supernatural to our campus. And for a few years after that, with Tyler as their leader, that's what his community did at Southwestern. They became an increasingly charismatic group with interests in the supernatural and prophetic words and visions. And in 2009, Tyler invited the community to move with him to Kansas City to go to IHOP. And once they were there, a few other IHOP students and interns would eventually join them. But of about 25 people in their original Southwestern group, about 20 of them followed Tyler to Kansas City. And they were and always remained a group that was unaffiliated with IHOP proper. Lots of people at IHOP have isolated prayer groups. It's a normal thing in a Christian community like this, but especially at IHOP. And Tyler and his followers arrived at IHOP in the fall of 2009, which was, you'll remember, an iconic time at IHOP because it was right as the student awakening was starting. The leaders would get on stage and they would talk and they would whip everybody up into a frenzy. And that would result in the audience, the the students who were in their teens and 20s, like running around in circles and barking and, and screaming and sometimes just falling flat on their backs. It, it was a wave of, of mass panic. And people would be flailing around, yelling, singing. It was it was like this carnival atmosphere, like 20 people doing the, the craziest things you'd ever seen all at the same time. And I was like, of course, I'm on the spectrum, so I'm intensely noise sensitive. And I was like, my God, would you all stop? Would you please be quiet? <laughs> and that's why when Mike Bickle went on stage and told everyone that and this is how Bose recalls it anyway, that Mike said something like, 80% of these manifestations are not real. They are psychologically induced. 
When he heard Mike say that, Bo says he was relieved. And after he said that, everybody calmed down. And I was so thankful that he said that. You have to be faithful even when things are not dramatic, even when your life is not intense and wild, which I appreciated because it felt like he was trying to sort of draw down the level of energy in the room to an acceptable level. And with that, Bo was adjusted to IHOP life, IHOP culture, which meant, you know, shifting into a world where everyone was placing a big time emphasis on emotion and prophecy and, of course, those looming biblical end times. We were going to cause people to die by praying for them to die. Why, why would you, what do you mean praying for people to die? Like the, the judgments in Revelation, the locusts and the meteorites and blood raining from the sky. He said that we were going to cause that, that God was going to unleash those judgments in response to our praying for the judgments to be released. And I was sort of half-heartedly committed to that, but not really. I, I just wanted to be among like-minded people. Part of it was that I was adrift after college and not quite ready to be in the adult world. And I wanted the safety of the friend community that I'd had in college. And so when Tyler said, hey, all your friends from college are going to be getting back together, I thought, well, great, I'm not... I am sort of floundering in grad school, so I'll just go be with them for a few years, you know. Now, let's go back to October 30th, 2012. That was the day that Bo's best friend, Bethany, that's the day her body was found in the back of her minivan in a parking lot near Longview Lake, south of Kansas City. In the vehicle... Investigators found an apparent suicide note that read, in part, My name is Bethany Deaton. I chose this evil thing. Maybe Jesus will still save me. The note, an empty bottle of Tylenol PM, a plastic bag over her head, and other indicators, led the police to believe pretty quickly that she had taken her own life. Bose found out through a mutual friend. She texted me and said, I've got some really terrible news and I feel like you're going to want to be sitting down for this, but Bethany, Bethany Lideline died and we don't know exactly what happened. We think she committed suicide, but it's, it's very sketch at the moment that no one's, there's no information coming out of the group I thought, this is extremely suspicious because why would she kill herself if she had just gotten married? And I felt like Tyler has got to be involved in this somehow. So, whoa. How did Bose go from following Tyler to Kansas City just a few years previous to thinking that he might have had something to do with Bethany's death? It was really weird because we, we would go to IHOP meetings three or four times a week. But the rest of the time, we were living in two houses, boys and girls' house. We later added a third house. And we were under Tyler's direction. He micromanaged every aspect of our lives down to what we were allowed to wear. And like if you wore something that he didn't approve of, he would force you to go change it. 
over time, it, it started out being just a bunch of people living together in a house, worshiping together. But as his control got more and more overt to the point where if you couldn't do anything without Tyler being involved in it and shaming you if you resisted and said, no, I want to do this. I don't think you, that is an appropriate level of control for you to have. He would get extremely upset. But despite all that, Bethany adored Tyler. Bethany loved Tyler. She wanted to be with him. Bo says that Tyler, though, didn't feel that way about her because for years, Tyler had been trying to fight off what he described as the demons of homosexuality. Except there was this one day in the prayer room. He had this very dramatic conversion experience where he came to us and said, um, something came over me and I was no longer gay. And I turned and looked over at Bethany, who was sitting there praying, and I was overcome with the most extraordinary infatuation for her. You know, looking back, the language that he used was very grand and not how you talk about being attracted to a woman. And, And that should have been, you know, a red flag. But he... He said that he wanted to go out with her, that God had um, given him physical attraction and that now they were going to get married. And of course, Bethany was ecstatic. Tyler said to me, Boz, you don't seem very excited about the fact that I'm dating Bethany. And I said to him, well, maybe I'm just waiting to find out whether you're actually still gay. He was not happy about that. (laughs) So I had mixed feelings about it, but everybody else seemed fairly gung-ho. And even before he had his um, I'm not gay anymore experience, she had been saying for two or three years, God wants me to marry him. And even though he's currently gay, he's not going to be gay forever. And once he stops being gay, God is going to heal him and he's going to put us in a relationship and we're going to have children. She already had some of their names picked out and we're going to do missions together or whatever God calls him to do and I'll support him. So when Tyler finally came around and said, okay, I'm not gay anymore and I like you, it seemed like this ultimate vindication of her prophetic powers. Because it was like, you've been saying this thing for three years and lo, it's finally happened. You were right this whole time. And now I wonder about that. I wonder if Tyler was was using the fact that she had a prophecy in some way to sort of conceal his own... Um, and what he considered his weaknesses. Despite his disapproval of her relationship with Tyler, Bose and Bethany remained close. Even still, though, by the fall of 2010, Bo's relationship with the community had started to fester. He remembers being called to a meeting. The entire group was sitting in a circle on the living room floor in the girls' house, and Tyler led this discussion and he said, we're shunning you because you are not cooperative. You you don't like living in community. You're scared of everyone. You are consistently rebelling against my authority. You hide in your writing and in your weird creative world, your imagination. You don't engage with reality. You are socially awkward. And he said, it's not getting better. 
okay, so I'm on the spectrum, right? And I did not know that at the time, but I went back a few years ago and read the, the list of problems he had with me and all of them were manifestations of being on the spectrum. So I look at this now and I go, okay, you're, you're bullying someone who is autistic. But at the time, it was very scary because I really thought that I was in rebellion against God and against the rest of the group. And the way he phrased it was, we are handing you over to Satan, which is a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses in one of his letters. And it means that um, we're essentially surrendering you to the judgment of Satan and, and he can do what he wants to and we're not going to stop him, which is a very scary thing to hear when you're intensely religious like that. You think, oh, I don't want to be, you know, handed over to Satan. That sounds terrifying. For the next eight months, he says Tyler instructed everyone in the group to ignore him and not speak with him at all. Um, I was in a house with six or seven boys, not a single one of them would talk to me. And Tyler had other people in Kansas City who weren't in the group but were loosely connected to us. He would call them and say, don't talk to Bose, he's been handed over to Satan. And then he he would call people in Texas who were still in university and he would say, don't talk to Bose, he's been handed over to Satan. And so it got to the point where there was no one who was willing to talk to me. And that was a very scary place because I must have done something really bad for 30, 40 people to be shunning me. So I fell into a, a deep depression. I stopped eating for like three weeks. I was having maybe two meals a week. And I, I thought, this is the most severe thing that has ever happened to me, suffering through this thing and didn't have anyone who whom I could could discuss this with. And I would I would email adults and they would say, oh, we'll get better. Don't worry about it. They didn't understand that Tyler had become like this weirdly manipulative controlling force who who seemed to be getting this weird pleasure out of out of dominating me, out of destroying my life. It was still, I would say, the worst thing that I've ever experienced. And is it true that IHOP wasn't even really aware of your group or Tyler and what he was pulling off until you guys had been there for two years? Is this what put you guys on their radar? The fact that you had been shunned? Yeah, that was part of it because I finally managed to get a meeting with a leader at IHOP University this was May 5th, 2011, according to Bo's journals and emails with IHOPU. And I said, okay, so I'm in this group and they've been shunning me for eight months and I want to know how I can repent so that I can be welcomed back into the community. And they were alarmed. They said, well, okay, first of all, we don't think you're the problem. We think they're the problem because this sounds terrifying, which was a relief to hear. And... And so, um, and then they started getting more reports from other people who were in the group because Tyler was starting to punish more people. There was a, a girl in our community who got her Bible taken away from her. She wasn't allowed to read it anymore. And they took the door of her bedroom down. And she went to the IHOP leaders and complained about this. And so 
it got to the point where Tyler was having to meet with an IHOP leader once a week, and he was having to tell the IHOP leaders everything that he was doing in the group. And they would tell him, no, you can't do that, or that sounds fine. And that's how eventually Bose winds up right back in the community. And he was welcomed back very ceremoniously, describing to me a day where Tyler met with him first for about five hours at a nearby Wendy's. And then afterwards, Tyler took him back to their main house for what Bose perceived as a pretty big and scary party to celebrate them taking him back from Satan. I had read a bit about cult techniques in college, about the techniques that they use to um, ensnare people. And this was one of the more blatant ones that I had witnessed. There was this literal red carpet rolled out, and there was this elaborate dinner, and everybody was wearing fancy dress. And um, they went around a table and said this is all the reasons why we're glad to have you back. And they put on a play. And um, I recognize this as what is called love bombing. And they're unsettlingly affectionate. And okay, they were mad, but now they're not mad anymore. And they really like me. So maybe this is okay. And Tyler asked me, what do you think about all the things that we've done for you tonight, the way that we've shown love for you? And I said to him, it's very well orchestrated, <laughs> which was about the nicest thing that I could think to say. And he he knew that meant that I wasn't completely on board with it. And he gave me this skeptical glare and he said, I hope one day you realize just how much effort we put into this. And That was the start of our second round of tensions because for the rest of the summer, he he sensed that during my eight months of being shunned, I had drifted away from the group a bit, had been doing reading in other Christian traditions, um, Catholicism especially. And so there was this constant friction between us the rest of the summer, which culminated in me being shunned again at the end of the summer. But before he got shunned for that second time, Bose noticed some disturbing changes in the group. He says everything got a whole lot more intense, including them participating in end times training. There was this guy who had been, he said, the commander of the unit in Iraq. He would teach us things like how to how to improvise a weapon if you're being attacked, or how to rush a person and get a gun out of their hands. And we would go, as part of our end times training, we would go hiking with heavy backpacks in the heat of summer, or we'd go to a playground and we'd practice, okay, the police are coming and we have to get away. So we would run away as fast as we could. And... That was weird. (laughs) That was weird and not common practice at IHOP proper. Is it possible, though, that this type of boots-on-the-ground warfare and weapons training may have been something that some people at IHOP were interested in or took part in on their own? It's possible. I wouldn't doubt it. But again, it was not something that any of the other former IHOPers I've been talking with did themselves. But this was just one of the many examples, though, of Tyler's escalating behavior. 
which also came to include a hyper-focus on sexual morality and the sex lives of other students. And at that point, Bo says Tyler was so worked up about it that he, that they, as the community, wrote an email to a certain female member of IHOP's senior leadership. He said, um, God has spoken to our group that there is a massive problem with sexual depravity within the greater IHOP community among the students. And the reason there is so much depravity and so much heresy being flung around is because there is, there is not the intentional community that we do in our group. And so God would like the people at IHOP to engage in the kind of intentional community that Tyler's group is modeling. The specific qualities of this intentional community, just so you're clear, they were things like communal dinners, accountability meetings, and pooling all of their money into a common fund. But this letter, it went way further than that. Bo says it even accused this leader of being terrified of this kind of community because of abuse in her own childhood. Within the hour, that leader emailed them back, told them they were wrong, and to never contact her again. And this created a sort of, like, crisis of faith for Bose. I don't know about the others, but for Bose, he said, this was a really shocking and surprising response because numerous people in their group had shared similar visions that this woman was going to immediately break down and repent upon reading their letter. And that's just not what happened. I kind of went, okay, those visions were received and confirmed by 18 people, and all 18 people were wrong. So I started thinking, if every single person in the group was wrong, then how can we trust these prophecies at all? Because it feels like, you know, we're all praying together. So of course, we would all experience the same visions. And also, it was it was very clear to me that Tyler was putting And the group was putting pressure on people to have similar visions because there was this one incident where a girl in our group said, I'm not getting the same thing that everybody else is getting. In fact, I think I'm getting the opposite, which is weird um, because she didn't normally, that didn't normally happen to her. And like, they they kind of told her, well, you're, you're in sin, you're not listening to God properly and you're in rebellion against Tyler and that's why you're hearing things that are not true. And so they they corrected her until she was forced to change her prophecy, her vision to fit in with everyone else's. Wow. And I said, Tyler, isn't it interesting how we all hear the same things when we pray? It's almost like like we're not really hearing from God. And he said, Pose, are you even supposed to be talking about this? because I, I was being placed under restrictions again by that point. And so he, there was this growing sense that he saw me as in rebellion and he was trying to find a way to do something about it. Looking back, Bose now says that the scariest thing about Tyler was that he was completely normal. In the context of IHOP, he was normal. There... There were, I wouldn't say everyone was quite as gifted socially and as uh, manipulative as he was, but 
his doctrines were not significantly different from the doctrines that were being put forth by IHOP. In fact, um, IHOP is the reason we even had most of those teachings that he gave us. So we would sit in the group and in the living room and Tyler would tell us something and then we'd go to IHOP and we'd hear someone else saying the same things from the stage. And so it just affirmed 80% of the things Tyler said to us. And so with these newfound realizations about Tyler and his personal beliefs evolving, Bose left the community and eventually IHOP as well. I became Catholic. Another friend of mine who was heavily involved in the group became Eastern Orthodox. So I think we were seeking um, stability after we left. And those older traditions provided tradition and history and stability that you did not have in the charismatic movement where people can just make up doctrines at any moment. And those doctrines can be incredibly dangerous, but there's no accountability. There's no way to check them. People say, oh, just read the Bible, the doctrines in the Bible, but you can read anything into the Bible, anything. Sadly, though, after Bose left, things got much, much worse for Bethany. Despite so many red flags, she got engaged and eventually married Tyler in August of 2012. I know that she was she was feeling anxious and conflicted for a few months before the wedding. and But she, she pressed through because, again, she really liked Tyler and she thought this was what God wanted. But after, after the wedding, during their honeymoon in Costa Rica, was sort of when everything fell apart because she... She tried to do the things you would expect with Tyler, and he got really upset with her. And he he said, you are full of lust, and you, you're coming on to me, and you need to think about how aggressive you're being in the way you're presenting yourself. And it sort of broke her. And according to the, the police documents, she... She went into this sort of dissociative state and she didn't really engage and was unsmiling and and was reading a book instead of communicating. And that upset Tyler even more. And Tyler said basically that Bethany's in rebellion and something needs to be done about it. Ten days after Bethany's body was found, a shocking confession. Came out that our friend Micah, who is a lovely, gentle person, he took himself to the police station and said, I killed Bethany. I killed Bethany because Tyler told me to do it. I took her out to the park and I put a bag over her head and I suffocated her. Micah Moore, one of the members of Tyler's group, was immediately charged with first-degree murder. His confession included shocking details about how they drugged and sexually assaulted Bethany on several occasions over numerous months, and that Tyler, Micah Moore says Tyler told him to kill her because he'd become increasingly concerned that she was going to tell her new therapist, or IHOP, about being drugged and assaulted 
and about the sexual depravity that was happening amongst some of them with Tyler. Was there a murderous sex cult at IHOP? People and media across the country wanted to know. In this particular case, um, you know, I know that there's a lot of interest about other parties in this case. That's County Prosecutor Jean Peters Baker speaking to media shortly after Micah's confession. I have to encourage you that it is still under investigation. Um, I cannot stress that enough, that this case is still under investigation and that we are encouraging people who may have information to please come forward. And it was Jean Peters Baker and others that fed the media and the public these really sordid details that Micah Moore had shared with police. There was an, a, um, a series of affairs going on between um, the decedent and others, um, other roommates in the home, um, but also, um, as you referred to, homosexual affairs that were going on with um, the spiritual leader of this group, Mr. Deaton. Tyler was kicked out of IHOP pretty much immediately. Up until he'd been a student, he graduated from IHOPU, he was even rumored to be on staff at that point, although my research leads me to believe that he was just about to join staff. Anyway, after they kicked Tyler out, IHOP released a statement distancing themselves from him. It read in part, Knowing what we know now, we deeply regret our failure to discern the nature of Deaton's alleged practices. We further regret his admission to IHOP and all connection he had with our organization. Knowing what we know now, that's the first line of their public statement. So what did they know after Bethany's death that they didn't know before? Because we know from both Harrington's well-kept journals and emails that at least some people on staff at IHOP, that at least some people knew there were problems with this group of friends, with Tyler's prayer group. Bose even alleges months previously that Tyler had been warned specifically by a staff member that his group was nearing cult-like status. But for whatever reason at IHOP, nothing that Bose or anyone else complained about was enough to make them intervene in any meaningful way. They allegedly told Tyler to stop calling himself an apostle. They told him to stop forcing people to pool their money. But it seems like the action ended there. Bose, on June 30th, 2011, even receives an email from the IHOP administrator who he had originally asked for help from, telling him that he was glad to hear that Bose had reconciled with Tyler. And I'm not saying they didn't care. I think people at IHOP care a lot, but I do wonder if they would have done more if they'd known that Tyler was also pressuring some of the other young men in the group into various homosexual acts a dark and painful secret that Tyler's group seems to have really kept to themselves. Like, nobody wanted to talk about that. We are aware of no evidence that a crime has occurred. So those first few days after Micah's confession, yeah, Tyler got kicked out, and then in comes Micah Moore's new defense attorney, Melanie Morgan. Driven to the police station by representatives of his church community, Micah told a fictional account that was bizarre, nonsensical, and most importantly, untrue. The doctrines taught in that community affected Micah's mental state and ultimately dominated his thinking. Okay, so here we go. According to his lawyer, various experts who examined Micah concluded that he had been triggered into a reactive psychotic state 
caused by a combination of his friend Bethany's death and the quote-unquote exorcisms that he'd been subjected to by people from IHOP in the days right after her body was found. Micah said, I killed her. I killed Bethany. And I think it was the guilt that they had been putting on him sort of sent him into this psychotic state where he thought he had literally killed Bethany. And so he was having these intense delusions and hallucinations. He said that I had been there. He said that I had helped him kill Bethany. He said that these other people who weren't in the group anymore had helped kill Bethany. It was nuts, but the police and IHOP took that confession extremely seriously. They they said, okay, well, I guess he killed Bethany. But as evidence, more and more evidence came out, like there was... There was actual video of Micah in the prayer room at the time of the, the of Bethany's death. Um, there was a video of Bethany at Walmart buying by herself the poisons that she had ingested before she suffocated herself. And so roughly two years after she died, um, they, the prosecutors were forced to drop the case because they said, we... At this moment, we don't have any compelling evidence that Micah was involved in her murder. And so, as of right now, it is widely believed, while Tyler may have may have reduced her to a state where she was vulnerable and suicidal, um, she took her own life. That's a lot, hey? Wow. That's a lot. So yeah, here are the actual facts. Over the two to three weeks before her death, numerous people close to Bethany say that she was acutely suicidal. I just, I was really close to Bethany and I wish I could have been more helpful in getting her out of the group because I had been gone for about six months. Um, They had expelled me and I was reading a number of books about cults and I was still processing and I I wish I had contacted her parents and said listen Tyler is still gay and if Bethany marries Tyler there's going to be problems and she was no longer sleeping in Tyler's bedroom for a newlywed to have to go through that especially someone who was as devoted to her husband as, as she was that was just devastating for her. She and Tyler came into the kitchen one morning and he found her pouring a mixture of some bleach solution into a bottle. And she said, I'm going to drink this. And Tyler was appropriately alarmed and he checked her into a hospital where she spent a few weeks and she was, she was raving and saying really bizarre things. Bethany was given a psychiatric evaluation It concluded that she was not only suicidal and a danger to herself, but also religiously preoccupied. That included her hearing voices that were religious in nature, telling her that she had lost her salvation. But even then, they didn't take that as a warning sign that something was really wrong and that she she maybe needed to go home to not be in the, the environment anymore that was causing these problems. But she wasn't sent home. Five days before her body was found at Longview Lake, Bethany was released from the hospital, reportedly against her husband's wishes. 
against Tyler's wishes. Where's Tyler today? I don't know. I haven't kept up with him. Um, he, he emailed me a few times after trying to patch things up, and I really didn't want to patch things up with him. But last I heard, he was having trouble landing teaching jobs because students kept Googling him. That was a few years ago, though. And here's where I'm at with Tyler. In regards to this season, I have not been able to reach him. I've even been told that he may have recently changed his name to avoid people like me from contacting him anymore. But Tyler did speak with media as late as 2015. He gave a high-profile interview to the CBS program 48 Hours. In it, he denied his group was a cult, but he did take some ownership for Bethany's death. Do I feel like I have really real responsibility for what happened? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Bethany deserved a straight husband, and she, she, she got a gay one. And she shouldn't have ever had to experience that. And now, a lingering question. How the heck did Micah Moore come to make what most people believe is that outrageously false confession anyway? His lawyer says it had something to do with an exorcism that he was the subject of in the hours before he went to police. Some leaders from IHOP were there, and the leaders from IHOP said, you've all been in sin, you've been following a false teacher, and you are partly to blame for Bethany's death. And everybody freaked out about that. Coming up next on Heaven Bent, what really happened to Micah Moore at IHOP on the night of November 8th, 2012? Plus, a spotlight on how IHOP senior leadership managed this tragedy in their community. You know, they were praying over um, the folks who were at this meeting. And at that point, I had heard that she pointed at Micah and said, you have something to tell me, don't you? You have something to tell me. And uh, from what I've heard and understand, it was that at that point, you know, it was when Micah confessed to having killed uh, Bethany Deaton. 